0: In 2022, I would love for you to join my Patreon group. I offer at least two bonus episodes a month and a monthly advanced read and pre-publication author chat. For those on Facebook, I host a special Patreon Facebook group where we all chat books. Thanks so much to those who already participate, and I hope you will consider joining us. Today, Reyna Grande is joining me to discuss her new book, A Ballad of Love and Glory. Reyna is the author of the best-selling memoir, The Distance Between Us, where she writes about her life before and after she arrived in the United States from Mexico as an undocumented child immigrant. Her books have been adopted as the common read selection by schools, colleges, and cities across the country. After attending Pasadena City College for two years, Reina became the first person in her family to set foot on a university campus. She went on to obtain a B.A. in creative writing and film and video from the University of California, Santa Cruz. She later received her MFA in Creative Writing from Antioch University. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Reina. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great as well. I'm very glad it's Friday.
1: Me too, although I tend to work through the weekend also.
0: (laughs) I do too, but it just seems like it's less scheduled than the week, so I'm happy just to have a little bit more free time or things that don't seem quite as scheduled.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Well, why don't we start out with you telling me a little bit about A Ballad of Love and Glory for those that won't have read it yet?
1: Yeah. So a ballad of love and glory is my first historical fiction. And it is set during the Mexican American war from 1846 to 1848. And it's a war story, but it's also a love story. And it's um, a love story between an Irish man who deserts the U.S. Army and switches sides to fight for Mexico and a Mexican healer who is a nurse in the Mexican army. And it explores this time in history that I feel has been forgotten. And it was really important to me as a, as a Mexican living in the United States to try to you know bring some attention to this time period that has really defined that relationship between the u s and Mexico to this day
0: I was looking at the history of both countries after I read your book to try to put this war in context around the other things that were happening and I didn't realize that Mexican independence had occurred not that long before this war, and then of course in the u s right after this war we had the civil war so I wondered sometimes if that was why it had gotten lost a little bit because the civil war is something that is just you know still not forgotten here
1: you know I I kind of question that because I feel that the Mexican-American War set the stage for the Civil War. Without the Mexican-American War, there would have been no Civil War. That's what I think. And yet we don't teach the Mexican-American War when we teach the Civil War. So I feel that we don't really provide the context To me, that that, that was really important to kind of try to show the reader of how connected all of these events are. And that's something that I discovered as I was writing about the Mexican-American War, that that war wouldn't have happened if the Texas Rebellion and the annexation of Texas hadn't occurred. So everything is very interconnected. And yet sometimes when we teach our history, we kind of cherry pick, you know, what events we're going to teach and what we're going to leave out. But I think really understanding this time period is very um, important. And yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, Mexico gained its independence in 1821. So it was a a very um, new, you know, a young republic when this war took place and Mexico was not prepared for it.
0: I do think you're right with respect to history. And I think that happens all the time. I think very large events or certain events that people choose to tell, get told, but a lot of times the context for what's happening ahead of them does not. I mean, I even think like with the pandemic, so many people had never heard of the Spanish flu or the 1918 flu, however you want to call it. But I think now that we've had our pandemic, everybody knows that flu. So Mm -hmm. I think sometimes things do get left out. I'm not sure how. It depends, I think, on who's telling the story. But I do think it's very common for the very large things to get their stories told, and a lot of these other smaller things that probably have contributed to the larger things get left behind.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, and I think with the Mexican American War, it doesn't fit into the the narrative and the national mythology, and it brings attention to the fact that the U.S. invaded another country. And and, and it's interesting because this was the first time that the U.S. invaded a foreign country. And this was the first time that it occupied a foreign capital when it occupied Mexico City. And we don't talk about that. But like I said, it just doesn't fit into the story that we want to tell about the United States. And by learning about the Mexican-American War, then we kind of understand how the Mexicans who live in this country are not the outsiders that we are told that they are.
0: Well, absolutely. But I mean, I think that's a much larger story in and of itself, because everyone who lives here now, for the most part, except for indigenous people, came over as immigrants. So everyone immigrated at some point. And so no one really is an outsider, or everyone is really an outsider, is the better way to phrase it. And so I think it's so interesting when people are trying to put down a particular group, say they're immigrants, when every single person, except for those that were originally living here, are immigrants. Yeah, and I think it's a shame that people can't look at it in a different light. I mean, just much like you talked about the Irish people and why a lot of them ended up defecting because they felt they weren't treated right. I, I don't understand it. I don't know why people have to make other people feel bad.
1: hmm Yeah. And that is something that uh, I really enjoyed writing about in terms of being able to highlight the Irish diaspora and the Irish experience when they came to the United States and how they were discriminated against the ethnic discrimination, but also religious discrimination and making those connections, right, with how Latino immigrants, the way they're treated today is very similar to how the Irish were treated. And yet now, when we look at at the Irish population here, we see them as part of white America, but there was a time when they were not. So to me that was a really interesting making those parallels and those connections and being able to use my own my own experience as an immigrant to be able to write about these Irish immigrants that I write about in
0: the novel. Absolutely. I think it is interesting to see how parallel some of those stories are. Well what made you decide to tell the story? How did you learn about it? And then how did you get started with this book?
1: Well, I learned about it in 2013 at an event. Somebody asked me if I had ever heard of the St. Patrick's Battalion, and I had not heard of them, so I, I researched them, and um, I was so fascinated by, by the story of this, you know, many I, Irish, Irish, but also like Germans and Italians and Scots who deserted the U.S. Army, and they switched sides to fight for Mexico. And General Santa Ana created the St. Patrick's Battalion and put John Riley as its leader. I was very intrigued by that. And I, I started to ask myself what led to these men deserting and switching sides and fighting for Mexico. So I, I started doing a lot of research and then I began to write about John Riley. During the process of, of researching, I came upon a poem written by John Greenleaf Whittier about a Mexican woman named Jimena who's out in the battlefield, tending to the wounded from both sides. So then I became intrigued by this woman, and she ended up becoming my female protagonist. So I just embarked on this journey. It took me over seven years to write this book. But in a way, I was trying to teach myself the history that I did not learn in school. And it was so empowering to learn about this time period in history, to understand more the relationship between the U.S. and Mexico, to to understand the, the, the story of the border, but also how I, as a Mexican immigrant, fit into that story. And it empowered me by learning and reframing the history and offering a new perspective and a corrective to this history.
0: And you immigrated when you were young, right?
1: Yeah, I was nine and a half when I ran across the the border. And I came to California, so I have been here since I was nine and a half and now I'm 46, so I've spent most of my life here in California.
0: And you wrote a memoir about your experience, correct?
1: Yes, I wrote two memoirs, The Distance Between Us and A Dream Called Home. And these are memoirs that capture my experience of being left behind in Mexico when both my parents immigrated to the U.S. And it deals with that family separation, with my border crossing, with my experiences as an undocumented youth growing up in California and then becoming the first person in my family to go to university and obtain a university degree. And then I also write about my journey towards becoming a published author.
0: So you've written in all sorts of genres. You've written contemporary fiction, you've written nonfiction in a memoir form, and then now you're writing historical fiction. (laughs) Does each one vary a lot? Uh,
1: Yes and no. I think the common thread between all of my books is immigration. Immigration. I always write about the immigrant experience, but with Ballad, this is my first time writing outside of my own immigrant experience to write about the Irish immigrant experience. But the differences are, yeah, the the genres, you know, writing contemporary fiction. I I wrote two novels and then the memoirs and I've written essays, I've written op-eds and then writing this historical novel. And I think what I try to do with each of my my books is I I challenge myself. You know, I don't I don't want to write the same book twice. I want to try something different. So, I always explore whether I'm writing first person or third person or multiple points of view or non-linear narratives or just challenging myself with with the topic that I choose to write about too. But I always ask myself before I start a book is, you know, what what do I want to say about this? What hasn't been said enough? What hasn't been written enough about? And that's kind of what gets the juices flowing in terms of how I come up with the next project.
0: So some things are similar as you're writing and some things are very different. I'm assuming in this case you had to do a lot more research than you probably did for your other books.
1: Oh, yeah. A lot of research. And and I think that's why it took me over seven years to write this book, because I was not trained to do this kind of research. I, I felt intimidated by it. So I kept putting the book away and I kept telling myself that I couldn't do it, that it was too much, too overwhelming. Because with my other book, especially uh, my second novel, Dancing with Butterflies, is about dancers and the kind of research that I did was to interview dancers and to go to a lot of dance shows. <laughs> and that was so much fun, you know? Whereas with this with this book, I had to read a lot of historical books. I had to read a lot of articles, and I read a lot of diaries and journals and letters written by soldiers. So it was it wasn't necessarily fun. But the more I did it, the better I got at it. And I think now if I were to tackle another historical novel, I, 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 I wouldn't be so intimidated by it.
0: Well, and did you feel any pressure because you were writing about real people?
1: Yes and no. I think it was easier. Like, for example, it was so, so much easier to write about John Riley, and even Santa Ana Because they were real historical figures and there was information about them. You know, uh, uh, Santana wrote memoirs, although you can't really believe his memoirs because he lied a lot. But there's a lot, there's biographies about these people. So there was a lot of information. The one I had a lot of trouble with was actually my fictional character, Jimena because... She was based on a poem, and I really didn't know anything about her. So I had to create her from scratch, and that was very difficult to come up with her, with her backstory, with everything that made her who she was, and I struggled to get to know her and find her voice.
0: That must have been kind of fun, though, to pull her out of a poem and then create her backstory once you got going.
1: Yeah, once I got going, I, I actually, I skipped a lot of her chapters from the first section. I didn't quite start writing her chapters until, I think it was around chapter fifth, chapter 12 or 13. From that point on, I started to write about her more because that's when she joined the, the war effort. And that's when she was, you know, in the front lines of this war. But before that, I struggled with the earlier chapters, which is her backstory and, you know, where she lived and who she lived with and her family. But once I figured her out, her voice became very important to the story. And I, I became very emotionally attached to her. But I, one of my the most fun I had was writing Santa Ana. And that was actually quite interesting because before I started writing about him, I was intimidated by him because, you know, he's this bigger than life character and he's the most hated man in Mexico and in Texas. And he's been portrayed in in many like films and and novels and he's, he's portrayed as this one dimensional villain. And I didn't want to do that. I really wanted to give more complexity to this character. So I was kind of afraid once I started writing about him. But then from the very first scene, he just kind of came to life. And then I couldn't get him to stop talking.
0: (laughs) You're like, go away. I'm trying to write John (laughs) Riley right now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He just talks so much. He took over every scene that, that I wrote with him in it.
0: Well, that's his personality, right? Yeah. That's interesting. But I do think so many people are familiar with him that it would be a little intimidating to try to put him down on the page. Right. Well, what about how the title came about and then your cover? It's just beautiful.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, that title, you know, I have a hard time coming up with titles. So for, I had different working titles throughout. And my second to last title was A Country Devoured. And then we thought, oh, maybe, you know, that might be a little too political or it doesn't sound like a novel. So then we were exploring different title options. And my editor proposed The Ballad of Jimena Salome, which I really love. But then I thought, "Mm, that kind of leaves John Riley out of the title because the story is not just about Jimena, it's also about John. So then a friend of mine helped me to come up with this title of A Ballad of Love and Glory, which I felt really captures the themes of the novel. And, you know, it captures that that it is a novel about love, but it's also a novel about war and about a soldier's pursuit of glory.
0: I agree. I think it's the perfect title. What about the cover?
1: Well, the cover, my publisher came up with the cover they gave me uh, a few options and then we narrow it down to, to the landscape idea because, you know, I, in the book, I write a lot about the Mexican landscape, about the flora and fauna. And so we came up with this idea of the, the sky almost like, like on fire, you know, to kind of represent the battles. And then you can see the mesquites in the background. And we added this really beautiful kind of like wavy lines that look like water, because to me that represented the, the Rio Grande. And I thought it offered some really beautiful movement to the cover. And then the title's kind of floating on it. So I thought it was really beautiful. And then, of course, the colors, Mexican colors, but also Irish colors.
0: And I was going to say, I like that your name is in bright yellow that kind of ties in with the rest of it. I think it's just a beautiful cover.
1: Oh, thank you. I think this is the first time I've seen my name bigger than the title.
0: (laughs) Your name is big. (laughs) It has to be a nice feeling. The book arrives, you're like, look at that. (laughs) Well, you have another book coming out on the heels of this one called Somewhere We Are Human. Do you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So in between writing a ballad of love and glory, I was also co-editing an anthology of essays, poems, and artwork by and about undocumented or formerly undocumented Americans. And this is a collection that centers the voices of undocumented Americans. I felt it was really important to do that because you know, we hear a lot about immigration, but not often do we hear it directly from immigrants themselves. And I have written a lot about my own immigrant experience, but I, I also wanted to be able to create a safe space where other immigrants could share their own stories. So this anthology, Somewhere We Are Human, is really special to me in that way. And I can't wait to share it with readers. So it's coming out June 7, and it will feature 41 immigrant voices.
0: I think the nice thing about books like that is that it humanizes those people. I think it's very easy when people look at a group and say whatever it is they're going to say. But I think if you start taking it down to individual people and hearing their stories and understanding, one, a lot of times the horror they've been through, but also that there are a lot of similarities between us that people then start to be more understanding and have more empathy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's really important to always focus on what we have in common and less so on what makes us different. That for me was really important in this anthology was to really like center our humanity and to to talk about what we have in common.
0: Yes. I mean, I think it's a political tool, a political tool that is used to try to separate. So I think if you can focus on how we're different or what we don't have in common, people are either going to be scared or disinterested or unhappy. But once you understand we probably share, or a lot of times we share way more than we don't share, then you're going to be much more open to something new or different people or people you haven't been exposed to before. So I think, yes, it's just social media and politics and people trying to separate and get what they want versus worrying about all of humanity.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and th- another thing that I really love about the anthology is that even though you know a, a large number of our contributors are from Latin America, we also included other countries, you know, such as Nigeria, Korea, Iran, Brazil, Bangladesh, Taiwan, Indonesia and Vietnam and the Philippines. So we really wanted to show how immigration is not just Latino immigration. You know, there's so many immigrants here from from all over the world.
0: Absolutely. From every direction and always have been. Now, I agree with that completely. And I do think that that's wonderful that you opened it up to a wide range of people. Yeah. Well, back to A Ballad of Love and Glory. What do you want your readers to take away from it?
1: Yeah, what I would really love my readers to take away is to rethink what they know about this history between the U.S. and Mexico, what they think they know about the border, and maybe gain some insight into this time period that we didn't know about. And hopefully that will help them understand the complexity of the relationship between Mexico and the U.S., And also how Mexican-Americans belong in this country and how we're not the outsiders or the foreigners.
0: Understanding the history and putting everything in context.
1: Yes. Good.
0: Well, I think your book will definitely do that. Thank you. I hope so. (laughs) I will. Uh, Before we wrap up, what have you read recently that you really liked? Or do you have some book recommendations you'd like to share with me?
1: Yes, um, I'm really excited because this, this spring just seems to be full of upcoming titles that look amazing. And the ones that I'm really looking forward to are You Sound Like a White Girl by Julissa Arce. And then, um, A Woman of Endurance by Dalma Llanos Figueroa. The Hacienda by Isabel Cañas. And then The Neapolitan Sisters by Margot Candela are a few titles that I'm looking forward to.
0: I've heard of all of them, but the last one. So now I'm going to have to go look it up. Yeah, yeah, you should. The Neapolitan Sisters by Margot Candela. Okay, good. Well, Raina, thank you so much for joining me today in the Thoughts from a Page podcast. I really enjoyed speaking with you and learning more about A Ballad of Love and Glory.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Hi, I'm Emma.
0: And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the professional, professional Book, book Nerds. nerds. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen. And as always, happy,
1: happy reading. Eating.
0: Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time.